welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, where we talk about how writing works, how writers work, and how the best writers risk being strange. And I'm talking today with Jonathan Chance, who's one of my uh, label mates, as it were, uh, at Heavy Metal's Virus Comics imprint. You know, I've done a comic series there called The Eye Collector. Jonathan has a graphic novel out, uh, which I really recommend to you. It's called The Boy Who Conquered the Mountain. And uh, it is samurai kaiju horror. So uh, those three great words uh, that go great together. So let's just dive right in uh, to talking to Jonathan Chance. I'm here talking to Jonathan Chance, uh, who is the writer and uh, the creator of The Boy Who Conquered a Mountain, the graphic novel out of Heavy Metal's Virus Comics imprint. Uh, and, uh, and the artist on that book is Emilio Utrera. Uh, and it's a really great uh, little, uh, it's a really great story about these characters who, um, it cycles around a lot of things that I hold dear, uh, you know, samurai uh, right uh the kaiju uh you've got a very lovecraftian kind of strain uh, to the to the kaiju as well um i, I uh back we were just talking uh, briefly uh before i started recording about how you were also a filmmaker right. and i've done a bunch the first thing i really kind of did my first paid writing job uh you know i interestingly was to write the samurai films for this guy uh, i wrote me and a co-writer i wrote four samurai feature films one of which was uh, wow. actually had carrie haruka tagawa was attached to it for a while and never ended up wow. getting made uh, unfortunately but um he was kind of coming off moral combat and other or sorry um yeah yeah moral combat and other things and he um uh this would be in like a starring vehicle for him and things like yeah. that but anyway fortunately it never all panned out but it was you know uh so I, you know i'm i'm right you know, I haven't published any samurai stuff, but I've done, you know, quite a bit of writing for samurai <laughs> stories, interestingly. And, um, cool. and then I also, another kind of link that we have uh, is, of course, I also have a comic coming out with Heavy Metal uh, and their virus comics imprint. You know, mine's The Eye Collector and it's, you know, a miniseries, uh, whereas you've got a full on graphic novel here. <laughs> uh, right. And then the other great connection that we have is we both, not only are named Jonathan, but correctly spell the name Jonathan, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was just wondering if you can maybe talk a little bit about uh, how you sort of came to write this story and how you hooked up with uh, heavy metal. Uh, right. Oh, well, basically, um, <clears throat> I was seeing that the Kaiju stories were starting to kind of um, surface in it. And I must admit, I was thinking at the time, um, that the modern kaiju story has been done. I mean, it's been done so many different ways. We're thinking, if this is a popular thing right now, I can, you know, I'm interested in doing this, um, but but I want to do it differently. And I want to do something that I can get passionate about. If I'm not passionate about the story, it will show. You know, the story won't be very good. I won't have the passion into the story and everything. So, um, so I started thinking about why not set it in a time that would be more believable you know, in an ancient time with myths and uh, magic and um, and something that was a little dear to my heart because I grew up, um, when I was younger, I did martial arts. I did ninjutsu, jujitsu, kung fu, and I was that 
young, sensitive, gawky kind of kid that, you know, wasn't the biggest kid in the class. He was the smallest and the weakest. <laughs> so I think um, there's a bit of me in that. And in the story, um, I was thinking, you know, it was also allegorical as well for what I was going through. Um, and how could I do a story where someone who could seem like someone that's that that couldn't fight or wasn't strong enough could actually become something greater than he could possibly imagine. And in this story, um, the kaiju story was was a good idea, I thought, in this setting, in this period. So it's a period piece meets coming of age fantasy action story. And I thought, you know, I'm always trying to do something different. You know, if, if, if at least you can't do a completely different story or something that hasn't been done before, at least do it in a different way. And I thought, you know, why not be, you know, in this wonderful, exciting time, it's very atmospheric and, and very innocent. Um, and, and the kaiju story, I was thinking, why hasn't that been done before in this period of time? And, you know, and it could be believable, at least in a time like this with fantasy and everything. And then I was really into the whole uh, Japanese folklore. So the creature is kind of like a, um, almost like an Oni demon, which is in the Japanese folklore is, is what that is. Um, so this creature is a beast, kaiju, Oni demon creature, I'm thinking. So I was trying to do something really different there as well. Talk a bit more about just what the story is and what the creature is a little bit without maybe, you know, spoiling too much. I wonder if you could talk a bit about the creature design and how you developed um, and fleshed out some of the things that creature does, like in terms of, you know, just the kind of its connection to the volcano and so on. Yeah, I thought <clears throat> that this would make a great idea because you don't quite see where the beast is or where it's come from or really what's caused what happens this young boy is a sensitive boy um he, he has a precognition of things that are going to occur and then his whole village the next day is wiped out by a volcano um we have no idea how it really happened um and then i'm reminded of uh, the images of uh, like pompeii where mm -hmm. people are turned to stone and um, we assume it's the volcano and is, um, is devastated. And I really want to show that human nature part, the, the spirituality of um, how does someone that already was weak to begin with, already sensitive and young and, and unexperienced or inexperienced, um, to then find the strength to, to not only go on, but also to fight something that's so much greater than he is. Um, with the beast, uh, I wanted it to definitely be demonic in a way, uh, terrifying. Um, and the arms and legs, I wanted it to be almost kind of human-like. It's like a spider-type shape, but I wanted it to be almost human-like, where the hands and fingers are like fingernails and something we haven't quite seen before. And I was thinking there's, there's all kinds of kaiju. Most of them are Godzilla-like or you know, giant bug-like. I was thinking, you know, yes, it's kind of spider-like, but I was thinking, try to, I, I was talking with Emma Uchura, who's a fantastic artist working with me through the whole thing, really bringing the vision together for what I was trying to create. Um, just something we haven't seen before, but something that we'd find really terrifying from our, our nightmares, I think, or something like that. 
And the other thing I think is kind of a real influence on it, although it's maybe less obvious, is mm. um, like a manga style. Mm. It's not quite yes. a manga style, but it has right. you know uh, moments and, and shades of that. And so I'm just kind of curious to know some of your other, just kind of I guess you say literary influences in terms of developing uh, this story, or even you know just how, how you and uh, your artists were kind of communicating around some of the art style. Yeah, this is the thing. A, a lot of the artists, because I've worked on different stories before, often artists I work with are um, from a different country. Um, some of the most fantastic artists you'll find are, are literally under the surface and they haven't been even fully discovered yet or they're just starting to bring out wonderful things or they haven't broke through here. It's very difficult, as you know, to break through over here. Um, but I was always, I would write the script um i would storyboard out everything because that's the filmmaker part of me i would storyboard out all the you know close-up of the character medium close-up long shot you know you know what i wanted to show details we have to keep count of all the characters looks and what they were wearing and what's happened continuity and um and then i would always not only with the script we'd also talk about the storyboards that if there's anything different that he would want to do with that or to show it more in a comic book professional way than what I was drawing because my sketches are more filmmaker mind cinematic thinking you know um transfer that over to comics and then um with that we would go forward and I would make notes on certain things you know the type of you know, uh, expressions that I wanted the, the children to have or him or the, what they were going through. And we would be very backwards and forwards. Everything was was via, um, you know, Instagram, email, and, and I'll just send back notes and then he'd get back. We were very quick on getting back. And this actually started originally off as a 40-page story. It was basically going to be around about 40 pages. He'd come on board for that. And the more I was writing it, the more I was thinking, I can't cut this short and I can't, you know, we, we're building something here. Something's really building in the momentum. And if I cut it short now, I'll give the story a disservice. I'll give, you know, all these characters that we're building with here. And there's so many, you know, so I, I let it flow um, and it became something bigger that we than we both thought it was going to be. And, and I was always wanted it to be epic and it became more epic than that. Um, but Emmy at the time was a little upset because he thought we were only going to do 40 pages. So we ended up doing 75, but it became something definitely, I think, like I said, the word earlier, cinematic. It, it does seem, seem like almost like a, a feature kind of story almost. Um, influences for me, um, definitely, I mean, it's unav unavoidable. You can't miss it. Seven Samurai. Um, yeah, not directly. I mean, you can see, you can see with like the village, the town, some of the characters. Um, I always try to do something original, but but obviously Akira Kurosawa is, is just such a fantastic director, and um, some of that is a definitely an influence in there. Um, and thankfully, Emmy Uchura has actually had seen the Seven Samurai as well, so we were both on the same page for the look and feel of what this was going to become. And then I'm curious to know, uh, again, I, I've done some filmmaking and some screenwriting, but uh, no, not as much as you, of course. But uh, so what, what I'm, I'm kind of really curious to know how you think about approaching a story differently 
either as a filmmaker or as a you know comic writer and but also uh just sort of what you know cross connections you think there kind of are there like do you like like i guess i'm my kind of question here is sort of if you're when you're sitting there storyboarding out a film or storyboarding out a comic in this manner that you're talking about is there a way that you kind of uh, have to think about it differently or is there even just a um value in kind of doing it to show off the idea to producers you know like like i'm curious to know how you kind of how those two areas kind of cross pollinate you know yeah i think it's funny you can't you can't take the filmmaker part out of you i mean i I think if you've kind of i got the bug early on for that um i mean i've always wanted to be kind of in a sense a storyteller but the filmmaker part every aspect of that was always fascinating to me and i think the storyboard part of it just further um accents i think what you're trying to express on the page when you give that over to the artist, how you want to transfer that. You're always trying to, you know, the heart of it, you want the artist to obviously have free reign to do what they want to do, but you also want to reel it in a bit because you have a particular vision you want it to show. Um, I think I did wonder how it was going to be doing comic books compared to films. Um, and funny enough, it the transition was was quite natural i actually found surprisingly i think when i was doing the storyboards and the scripts and that um at the same time um the way you write panels is literally the same as writing storyboards you know for shots Mm -hmm. for shots and angles is basically almost exactly the same as doing panels um and then the comic book professional artists then will will make it more in a comic book sense you know you can do those same types of shots but it still has to be in a comic book format and and the mode that they go into with that um i think um and at the same instinct i think again i'm not um with my stories i i I don't try to put out to producers that this could be a movie or this could be a short film but i think there's just a part of me that the way when i pick artists and colorists and the the type of look that I want and the atmosphere and everything, it kind of just comes out that way. And then I think I look at it and I think, shit, well, this could be a Twilight Zone episode or this could be, you know, uh, a movie, you know, the more it goes on, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I I hope you can take that out of yourself. I think that filmmaker part of you is just in there, you know. What I've found uh, just sort of, you know, having done both of them a little bit is um, I feel like the grim, the, the grammar of them is different, mm. almost opposite, but but kind of sure. related. Like the way I think, like like Tarkovsky's, because with film, the shot is the grammar, right? The shot's the basic right. component, and then Tarkovsky pointed out, you know, the the shot is sort of like sculpting in time. You've got time playing out in the shot, and then right. you're you know cutting to another t- shot where the time plays out. Um, uh, whereas in comics, time doesn't play out in the panel right it plays out in the gutter between the panels so in a sense it's almost the opposite but of course as you're saying you know i I write the scripts almost identically right right and and (laughs) and and also you're talking about close and this you know the angles and 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 the visuals of course they're just these visual mediums um uh although film has a sound component as well but they're they're in some ways they're opposites in some ways they're very connected what i've found 
uh, interesting about it though is I'm, I, I don't know how to necessarily talk about one transitioning to the other. Like I can see in my head about it, but like, like, like what I, I'm curious to know if you found that it is helpful or not to have, say, like that comic thing. Like if you, you if you're in the a pitch meeting, say, and you're talking about maybe trying to take this thing and make it into a film. Do you find that that's it helps to have those materials? D- does it help people visualize it, or does it kind of get them locked into a one way of thinking about it? That is maybe not it. Like, what have you found in your experience, and how do you um, kind of handle, I guess, kind of pitching off comics if that makes sense? Well, that's actually something I've been wanting to do. Actually, I haven't actually got round to actually mm-hmm. doing that. I, I've I've used storyboards for a film I was trying to get off the ground to get funding for. Um, since then, I've actually made a uh, prequel short story based on a character from the same from from that movie that I was going to make. Um, so I, I was actually going to use that, and, and I think with things like this, I think they only help to be honest, that to, to fully visualize what it could be. Um, I think that they can put their mind aside just enough to see that, yes, this is a comic book, but they can get at least an idea visually on a bigger picture, you know, like, oh, I can imagine this being a movie. And if it's cinematic enough looking, if the comic book, I think, has a, a certain, you know, if it's done a good enough way, quality wise, they can just see that, oh yes, I could totally see the potential of this being a movie or, or something else. Um, I think it only helps because when you've just got the script and you've got some storyboards, which is nice, but it's not color and all this, but when you actually see a story all played out and if you had that even on a big screen, I, I think that from those images, they'd be able to see you've got vision oh, for what you, you know, what this could be. I think it only help it for sure. Some ways that you um, have found, whether you're talking to producers or talking to an artist, like mm. what have you found useful in terms of conveying your vision for things? Because before it's, I mean, obviously storyboards you're finding is a useful mm. tool, but are there other things like that where you find like they're good tools uh, for kind of getting that vision across? Because sometimes it can be hard to just kind of communicate what you're seeing in your head uh, to either the artist that's got to draw it or, um, you know, a producer that maybe you're trying to get some money from or whatever. Oh, absolutely. And I think also the other thing is that I'm always dealing with is language barrier as well. Mm-hmm. So you can speak as clearly as possible and yet think, oh, wait a second, I'm talking to like in a personable way. I'm not, th- <laughs> I'm yeah. not writing it clear enough in words that are easy to understand. Um, so I think I, I also use I, the script. I try to be, you know, they, they do say with scripts in general that you shouldn't be too detailed, but with certain things, I do put, you know, a little bit of detail, um, especially at the beginning, if I'm explaining what a character's like or the setting or whatever, then after that, it's not as detailed. Um, but I'm always giving tidbits of information, like every time, like I would say, you know, oh, I like the look of, you know, all these, uh, of this panel or this panel, whatever, but this one I'd like to be, you know, bigger and or this is more detail and I think as long as you're, you're saying directly and not in a bad way at all but just in a direct kind of way what you're after and also um with I use images as well you can find images online of, of particular things that you can also help you know I would like a woodland that looks like this and you've got the atmosphere mm-hmm. of you know um of it being like this creepy crowded look and, and the and the uh, the feel of it and the, the time of the day and things like that so you can use those as visuals as well as 
um, as well as your storyboards and your writing as well. Do you keep a file of that stuff? Like if you see like a film that has a cool woodland, you know, or oh, I, oh, interesting mountain, yeah. do you ever like, do you have like a swipe file for stuff like that? Oh, or do you just God. keep it in your head or? No, my, 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 my Dropbox is full of just, um, I will screen capture something I like the look of or, mm. yeah, if I see something or if um, I, then I also go out of my way to go online and Google search and just look for particular images involving things that I'm looking for. Like recently I'm, I'm doing a story right now. It's set in like, you know, California summer 1992. I want to get that type of look of not Venice beach, but more, Newport Beach so then you specifically look up that look and you're trying to get and yet still the angle is not quite right and you're like well if I draw it this way I can use that as well and so yeah I think images online and that are definitely good to do that and I've just put a bunch of folders in my mm. Dropbox and then also I've always been someone that just constantly writes notes I write on paper I used to write on napkins and hands but I've stopped doing that now <laughs> <laughs> that used to be i don't know if you ever saw that movie almost famous you ever seen yeah. that movie yeah, yeah. Not for a while I, but yeah i was that kid that would write on my hand and it would sweat <laughs> yeah, off you know uh, right on the napkins and yeah so um i also have a, a like a dictaphone thing so if you wake up in the morning and you don't have time to write it or it's going so fast you can at least get it out just just saying it you know so. the problem i've been finding is i i make these notes everywhere in all these different ways like you're talking about but then i don't have any system to re, re, find the note or recall oh, it's, them in any way it's, <laughs> so, I know. it's not, yeah. not easy you have to put it in some sort of a filing um mm -hmm. i tend to put all my ideas in one folder and then seeing the image of it <clears throat> or the screen capture of it will remind me of oh okay i remember what that one was about and i've made notes on that or i've or I've spoken to the dictaphone about that and then I'll put the two together and it will connect and then remind myself what the story was about or the idea. So <laughs> one thing I find interesting about this particular story is that the way that you have, you know, this, the Kaiju genre, you know, is kind of playing into that. Um, and you have, you know, this monster and this oversized, uh, all these oversized aspects. And then right. at the other side of it, you know, you, pretty quickly eliminate the adults from the equation mm. uh you know and you have uh, more or less stripping it down to these kids um right. and it's not you know just this main character who has had this vision you know as a kind of heroic figure all on his, lo his lonesome you know he does sort of have a kind of you know group uh, around him right like right. It, it almost has a bit of that it has a, to me it has a little bit of that goonies tone you know like <laughs> someone said that one one person said that mm -hmm. yeah it's funny but is it yeah. but i don't i, I realize that I, I haven't really seen those two things come together like usually with the kaiju you don't really have like these kids fighting it you know what i mean like uh, no. so i thought that was really an, an interesting kind of wrinkle in things and you kind of talked a little bit about kind of where you came up with that idea but i was wondering like what you found interesting uh, as you kind of played that out you know for you like where were you kind of surprising yourself uh, as a storyteller i guess i think um it's funny i look back i've done other like i do mainly horror stories than than this one this was definitely a different one for me it's always the different ones that i do it ends up being the ones that are a bit more popular than the ones that i'm normally doing the things um but um with this i just find it with children you look back 
then I've got a son myself now who's six. Um, and you look back and you think, I remember the times when, when you know, you would ask a doll or a parent or whatever and they wouldn't believe you or they didn't believe in you or, you know, they just kind of discarded and put aside like all the time, you know, and sometimes, you know, not on purpose or anything. They're just because they're young and they don't know any better, supposedly. But um, what's to say that they couldn't be strong and that they couldn't fight something? If And I think at the core of this, the story is a very spiritual story. First, for Caleb overcoming all that he's gone through. And he's and so I wanted to convey in the story that it's as, you know, he's dealing with grief at the same time as transitioning into a, a transformation of, of being stronger than, you know, something that he'd imagined and also that he'd be destined to be. Um, that this person that at the beginning of the story was so weak and, you know, we, we know the underdog story, but that anyone could become a leader and could, you know, fight for the right thing. Um, I think that was what the core is. And, and also the innocence of children, I think, in stories where the the children's are, are, are children of the um, either the heroes or the, or the people that the the pr protagonists, um, there's that air of the parent part of you, or even before you're a parent, you're like, oh, those poor kids, oh God, Christ, they're gonna get hurt. You know what are they gonna do? They're crazy. You know, so there's a part of you that really wants to protect them, but and yet they're saying, you know, we can do this and we can stick together and we can defeat this thing. And and I think that that's something that in adult stories or in adult comics or movies that we don't feel that kind of uh, wanting to shield someone some as much as we do children. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's got a, I've got an artist friend um, chasing artwork. He, he, he draws under, his name is Justin Curry. And he, um, we always um, notice that he, he always does like big versus small, you know, <laughs> like that's his sort of theme is, you know, it'd be like a gigantic, you know, right. uh, monstrosity and this like little you know tiny girl uh right. facing Aww. it down and, and it's, it's a really compelling um uh aesthetic because it, it just is. suggests so much in terms of just thematic ideas instantly and it just has an inherent you know cons conflict in that kind of opposition and right. then as you say you're kind of um sinking it into this uh you know demon versus child side of it as well like there's just all this um cosmic almost suggestiveness or mm -hmm. significance to the uh right just just to those elements uh so it's interesting to me and, and, it, and it really comes across nicely with this uh art style mm -hmm. so i know you're not the artist on it but i'm wondering if you could talk a bit more about how you found this artist and how you find artists uh, just as a writer, you know, I'm always who, who can't draw stick figures. My kid, who's uh, five years old, was, was asking me to draw a Santa Claus for him today, uh, and I tried, and he started. He started like berating me. Uh, and he's like, "That's not how Santa Claus looks. That looks like some sort of." He, this is what he said to me. He goes, "That looks like some sort of like gingerbread, fat gingerbread cookie." And I was like. It, I was like, kid, like you can draw a better Santa than me. Why ask me to draw Santa? Right, right. You know? But <laughs> kids are so honest at that age, aren't they? That's the funny. Yeah. There's no filter. They just say they don't mean it. They just say, you know. Uh, yeah, but, but I'm always looking for artists, to... you know. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm always trying to figure yeah. out, like, how, how do you, 
you find these guys. <laughs> well, it goes back to <laughs> that. Girls. It goes. It goes back to that thinking and what we were just talking about with the uh, putting ideas into folders and Dropbox and, and and physical for writing notes and putting them in a filing cabinet. The same type of thing goes with artists. So the last few years that I've been doing this, um, this year has just been. I've been constantly work, constantly working, and finally you know, and submitting and submitting. And then finally this year, like a few things kind of broke through all at once. I was very happy that finally something had just come through because after all this, the two and a half years constantly working. Um, but what I always do since the beginning um, was, again, I do those screen capture. I, I see someone that I like the look of their art. I look down at not only what they're capable of doing, but, you know, you could find the great, a very wonderful artist but have they ever done comic books before? And have they ever done positioning and, and how the panel's going? So so the more you go on and the more as I went on with the different stories, I, I it's all trial and error, but you, you discover, okay, it's got to be someone that can do comic books. They've done comic books. This isn't the first thing they've done before. They're, they've done it a few times. Even if they haven't sold anything, you can see, oh, they know what they're doing. And then there's a natural, you know, you can tell with some people. And, and I've often found people... Like I said before, they, they just happen to be from other countries. Sometimes they're from here, but often they're from other countries. And they've been doing it for a long time. It's just something you can tell it's in their passion. They just, you know, would want to, you know, get their work out there. And I'm happy to basically find anyone, um, you know, that's affordable, um, whether it be, you know, newcomers or industry people, both. Um, but with, with newcomers, I think they seem to be more... Um, uh, excited and, and really willing to just go the extra mile to really show you what they can do and everything. Um, so that's how I normally go about finding, like, I, I find them all different websites. Um, again, Instagram, I'll screen capture ones and then I'll put them aside. I'll put them all in a folder and I'll look through them all and I'll think, okay, well, this particular person is really great at doing Gothic stuff, Victorian stuff. So I'm thinking if I did a period horror, this person would be great for that. Or there might be someone similar and I'll look at both of them. And then there'll be other people that might be really good at doing fantasy stuff or someone that different that does sci-fi stuff. So I'll decide based on not just, you know, artists can do different things, but if their strengths lie in particular genres and things, I will pick which ones look good and then see if they'd be willing to do the story. And uh, the other thing I just kind of am curious about is how your experience has been so far with heavy metal. Again, I'm putting a comic out with heavy metal right now. And so I've been really, right. um, uh, I've been really pleased way, for them, with you, them so far. Your, your, by the way, your story is the type of story I would want to read, by the way, because oh, I, yeah? I'm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because exactly. I'm, uh, I, I'm more of a horror background, even though this is more of a fantasy kind of, there's horror elements in it. Um, but I'm more, I've been doing horror shorts and things like that. So your story is definitely my type of story I would want to read. So. <laughs> what do you like most about horror? Uh, what's your, what draws you to that genre overall? I think I've always been intrigued. Because you have horror, horror elements in this too, like the monster. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. kaiju. It's, it's not, it, as you say, it's more fantasy, but it's, it's a but very, love, it's got a, shades of Lovecraft in that monster. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I definitely wanted to put that balance of um, spiritual and psychic and then horror elements and stuff i just feel like there's so many elements that we know so little about and there's things in history and myths and that that um are just fascinating to me i think and i i i wanted to compound that into this and 
above all else, I just wanted to do something different because I'm thinking if I want to do a kaiju story, why not do it in a different way like this? And it being a period piece, it just just instantly there made it so much, I thought, different. Um, but horror in general has always intrigued me. I think it's just, it's like, it's like that thrill of the roller coaster ride, you know? It, it's like, um, you know, you're terrified or a little scared of it. I mean, I remember back when I was a kid, the first ever horror movie I saw was uh, The Horror Dracula. And um, I'll never forget this. I always tell, I've told people in different interviews before. Um, I think I was five years old, so I was a year younger than my son. And uh, for some reason, my dad had it on beta video cassette, I think. Somehow I was watching it. I don't know how. Um, and my mum said, oh, if you watch that, you'll get nightmares. And I said at the time, I won't get nightmares or you'll get nightmares. And because you listen to your mum, I got nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, mum, it's only because you told me I was going to get nightmares. I wouldn't have had it otherwise. And after she said, oh, I, I won't say that again then. And she didn't say it again. And after that, I never really ever had nightmares on mm. horror movies. So horror, as far back as that, as five years old, I, I think I kind of knew. I knew that it was story. I knew it wasn't real. And I was always, even back then, looking at, oh, you know, this is kind of cool, blood, vampires and special effects. And, you know, so even back then, it was, I think, fascinating. You know, it slowly started to put something in me that I would be interested in that later on in life. Um, and your question of, uh, with heavy metal, heavy metal is just, I think it's, it's like an institution, I think, mm -hmm. for sci-fi and not just sci-fi but sci-fi horror as well and all the the great artists that have come through and worked on stories pages cover art and I, I I remember very early memories again I was probably about nine or ten I think it was my brother had a few issues and it's just those scantily clad <laughs> covers with normally like a woman you know, it'd be a, a science fiction story or fantasy. And the art was just just straight from the get-go, breathtaking, you know. And I'm a big uh, person for um, that you hope that when you open the book, the art inside is as good as the cover art. And often it was with heavy metal, which is the great thing. And the great thing is, is that now, pardon me, they're just going from strength to strength. I think that they're taking all the elements of the past, which is fantastic. They're embracing that. They're not lost in the middle of it or, or kind of enjoying past glories. I think they're embracing the past, but they're also embracing modern stories. And it's so great that they've got this, uh, all these creator labels now where I, myself and you could even have our stories, not just a short story, but a big story, in your case, a mini series, in my case, a graphic novel, and actually be a part of that, and which is absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'm, I've, I, I, I'm weirdly uh, I've come to everything as an experimentalist. Like, I'm really interested in <laughs> experimental narrative structures and just strange ways to tell stories. Uh, I find horror the most interesting genre as an yeah. avant-garde artist <laughs> because horror is a genre where, uh, and especially in film, uh, but, but elsewhere right. as well, horror is a genre where not only does the audience uh, accept unconventional narrative structures, um, so they'll, they'll watch an anthology film, you know, like they'll watch a, uh, you know, some strangely structured thing. They expect... Um, something unusual and 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 bizarre in 
film specifically, you can still make, uh, it's still possible to make a film without a star in horror, mm-hmm. uh, unlike other genres. And, oh, absolutely. Um, and, and so there's like a way in which it's practically feasible in, in certain mediums in a way that it's, you know, not uh, in other areas. Uh, but also like you got an audience that is trained to just want um, something new and something different. And, and it's an audience that really is intolerant of uh, repetition in a certain way, right. uh, you know? And so it kind of, I feel like it, it's, it's an, it's a great genre that I love and for other reasons, but it's also one where I think it's just has an audience that is really um, uh, has an appetite for and a tolerance of something strange. Right. Um, and when you talk about, about heavy metal, like uh, to me, like that's a company that has done a really great job throughout the years of melding um, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, like those big genres right. with, with experimental art styles and story structures like you had you know Jodorowsky you had Mobius you have all these great you know uh avant-garde people associated with uh heavy metal and as you say like uh I think it's still sort of where that audience is in uh many ways like that kind of weird overlap with the people who like genre but also want something really weird you know right not right. conventional and not normal, um, uh, not mainstream, right? In, right. in that way. So it, it's, I've always seen myself as kind of in that kind of cult, uh, you know, that cult weird, like as a cult author or something, you know? And so it, to me, it's a really interesting um, set of things that they're doing. And I'm really pleased uh, about it. But the other thing that, as you, you bring up, is now they've got this creator-owned line uh, of in virus comics, and so right. uh, you know it, it, it's a like with my book. I always uh, me and the artist co-own it, and we um, you know we just that's what we want to do, and, and you know we <laughs> very um, uh, it, it very you know happy with kind of how um, how flexible they've been with things, you know, in, in that right. regard. But the other thing I think that is just worth um, kind of mentioning in, in terms of the things you bring up there is um, horror, I think, is still a place where you can um, mix genres because horror, right. in many ways, is not a genre, but a parasite on other genres, you know? <laughs> it kind of is, isn't it? Right. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So it's just very interesting. I think it's a, it, it's so, it, I like, uh, I appreciate how you've really kind of um, blended a couple of different influences in a story that is coherent uh because so often they they aren't when people try to do that that's true that's true yeah i think horror it goes through uh, ebbs and flows i think um i think um i can't remember how long ago he'd said it but christopher lee was saying decades back before i think this is even before he kind of um was celebrated again when once he did Sleepy Hollow and Lord of the Rings, he was celebrated like finally. But for many decades, he was saying, you know, horror is theater. You know, horror should be respected for being theater. And some of the greatest stories, you know, even back to William Shakespeare and stuff like that, or even like, you know, uh, Greek mythology and things like that. There's horror in all these things. And it's like, how is it not respected? How is it not? And then it takes something like Science of the Lambs to get an Oscar. And then everyone then gloms onto that, copies that type of format and that way of being a horror 
big budget where horror is always at its greatest when it's not big budget when it's like you were saying earlier on a great horror film most of the time doesn't have a star actor you're absolutely right most horror films that are the best ones when they're lower budget practical effects um and the great thing is i think about now for horror is the whole ebbs and flows i think we're finally at this point again where um the smart horrors are in again which is great which was around when we were probably growing up you know 70s and 80s um had some of the greatest horror stories horror sci-fi stories that really made you think you know it wasn't just moral you know there was stuff under the surface there and i i think those will always be the greatest horror stories so i'm really enjoying that um people are respecting it and and, and also now that you even see um if you think back when Ringu originally came out, the original yeah. Ring movie, uh, that was embraced because I think many horror stories, they were trying to do the big budget production stuff. They were doing the remake of The Haunting with an all-star cast. I'm thinking all-star cast, CGI, big budget, crap. It's just, yeah. you know, like it's not, it, it wasn't good compared to the, you look back at the original, it was a complete masterpiece. It cost no money. Um, and then you look at Ringu compared to the haunting remake from 1998 and you're like, there's no contest. And I think that opened a small market of people at the time that was willing to watch subtitled horror movies where at the time people were like, oh, I'm not watching the subtitle. They were just very ignorant. Right. But now you'll even see it on a, a superhero movie or on a Netflix show or whatever where you see the subtitles come up and I, I love the fact now that we're not like oh i can't be bothered to read this you know that i think that um we've embraced that more which is a great thing now that we're you know we are a smart audience and the studio should treat us like a smart audience and and stop treating us like we're dumb and actually have smart movies in this case now we've got smart horrors so that's great yeah and i really appreciate how you bring sort of some of those twists together in this uh, book here which uh, i i've got to let you go because you and i both have to attend to our small children <laughs> but right, uh, right. Uh, but people should check out the boy who conquered a mountain uh, at heavy metal and jonathan uh, chance is uh, maybe the best way to find him online is probably his instagram so which is jonathan underscore chance and jonathan is spelled the correct way j-o-n-a-t-h-a-n <laughs> but it's been a pleasure talking to you and i uh, hope to talk to you again uh, sometime uh, you too thanks and uh, keep writing the runway yeah.